But it's good to be here with you today. We are going to look at the verses that were read earlier from Psalm 139. So if you have your Bibles, would you please open to that and follow along? And I've entitled The Omniscient and Omnipresent God. Psalm 139 is really a short course in theology. You see, what we think about God and our relationship to Him determines what we think about everything else that makes up our busy world. Other people, God's Word, God's will, sin, faith, obedience, and so forth. Wrong ideas about God will ultimately lead to wrong ideas about who we are and what we should do. And this leads to a wrong life on the wrong path toward the wrong destiny. In other words, right theology, the right knowledge of God, is essential to a fulfilled life in this world. Now, Psalm 139 was written by a man who had right thoughts about God, but though he was far from perfect, he had a personal relationship with God. He lived with confidence, security, and fulfillment. In fact, this man was called in the Bible a man after God's own heart. This man was David, who wrote this psalm. And so this psalm and this message can really encourage us to be in a right relationship with God. And Psalm 139 really answers four questions, and we're going to look at two of them today. And then next Sunday we'll look at kind of this portion again, and then the last two Sundays of August that I'll be preaching, we'll look at two other questions in light of Psalm 139. So the first question we ask ourselves today as we look at this psalm, in verses 1 through 6, how well does God know me? How well does God know you? We look at verses 1 through 6, and I'm not going to read them again, but all of you here who are married, um, when you were dating and before you got married, how well did you know each other? I couldn't help but think of a humorous story uh, told by Charles Swindoll of a man who fell in love with the voice of an opera singer. He had never been close enough to her to really know what she was like. He didn't know that she was many years older than he was, but he fell in love with her voice. (laughs) And so he decided that that's the woman I'm going to marry. He had seen her through the binoculars from the fourth balcony of that opera place, and he decided with a voice like that, I can live happily ever after. And so having gone through a windswept romance, they quickly got married. He didn't really know much about her. And so on the night of their honeymoon, as they got ready for bed, she proceeded to pluck out her glass eye, She pulled off her wig, she took out her false teeth, she unstrapped her wooden leg, and she removed her hearing aid, and the man looked at this woman he just married, he said, for goodness sakes, woman, sing, sing, sing. He had fell in love with her voice, didn't know anything else about her. I wonder today... How well did you know you, the one you married, <clears throat> before you got married? I'm sure 
You who are married here today, I'm sure that that you were successful in hiding some things from the other that you did not want them to know. And once you were married, you learned a lot more about the person you married. Things you didn't know before, like snoring. (laughs) Or like certain quirks you have. And you now see sides of the of the person you married that you never saw before. And you have, right, um, husbands and wives, don't you have pet peeves that irritate the other person in your marriage? And even once we are married, there may be things we try to hide from our spouse, like golfing in Greeley, Colorado, during the fly convention. About 25 years ago, um, I traveled with my family, and we had four little ones at that time. And so um, there was two other pastors. We decided to go down the mountain to Greeley, Colorado, because Dan Munfram wanted to golf with a foursome. And so we went down the mountain, and we, we rode with this one pastor. I'm not going to say the names because to protect the innocent. <laughs> um, we went down to this golf course, and... This other pastor that was with me, we were both young pastors. We had large families, and things were tight financially. And we thought, well, it can't cost more than $20 to play a round of golf. And, well, we got down there, and the guy said, it's $50. $50? And we, by the way, had to also rent clubs because we didn't bring our clubs along. So, <clears throat> so it's $50 plus clubs. And this was without any cart. And we didn't know what to do. <clears throat> the other pastor said, I'm golfing. <laughs> what are we going to do, sit here in the clubhouse for four hours looking at each other? Um, so we decided to play a round of golf. So we paid out this money, $50 plus the rental of clubs. And, and as we were walking out the clubhouse door, I, I told this other pastor, I said, um, I know this is not going to sit well with my wife. <laughs> I said, I don't know what I'm going to say. And the other guy looked at me and says, I'm not even telling my wife. (laughs) I don't know if she ever found out. (laughs) And I won't tell you who that pastor was. But sometimes we hide things from even our spouse. But sometimes we even hide things from ourselves. We, We deceive ourselves in thinking that all is okay when it is not okay. So how well does God know me? How well does God know you today? Well, look at our text today. In the very first six verses, we know that, first of all, he knows us personally and intimately. We cannot deceive God. He knows us personally and intimately. In verse, the first six verses, we find 13 personal pronouns. I don't know if that stood out to you, but... If you look at the first six verses, notice how many times David says, I, me, and my. You have searched me. You've known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You see, you may feel lonely at times. And you might say, nobody knows me. Nobody cares about me. But that's not true. God is God knows you intimately. In fact, the word search in verse 1 means to examine. 
Do you realize that when you come here this morning, even for worship service, God is examining your heart? He knows everything about you. He knows what you're thinking. The Jewish people used this word to describe digging deep into a mine. And the thought here is that God explores, he digs into and examines me and you through and through. There's nothing we can hide from God. So why do we do that sometimes when God knows everything about us? In verse 2, David refers to everyday life. He knows when I sit down. He knows when I rise up. He, He knew when you rose out of bed today. He knew when you sat in your car. He knew when you sat in the sanctuary. He knows when you're going to get up. He knows it all. You see, our most common and casual moments are completely familiar to our Lord. In verse 2, the word understand means to distinguish and discern with insight. He knows our thoughts. He knows what prompts us to think certain thoughts. He knows whether our thoughts are good or evil. God understands the hidden, unspoken motives behind our actions. You know, have you ever done something like, why did I do that? God already knows your motive for it, why you did it. Isn't it good that we have a God that when we do wrong, we can confess our sin to God and he will forgive us? In verse 3, the verb scrutinize. Now, I have the New American Standard, so what was read today, you didn't have that word, but in the New American Standard, it says in verse 3, Thou dost scrutinize my path and my lying down. That word scrutinize is a translation of the Hebrew word which means to sift. To sift. It is the idea of submitting oneself to minute scrutiny. God carefully sifts away at our choices and decisions. There is nothing that God does not know about you here today. He's known everything about you from even before you were born. And isn't it interesting that God, nothing takes God by surprise. Something happens in your life, doesn't take God by surprise. Like, oh, I didn't know that was going to happen. God is sovereign. God knows everything. And then in verse 5, we have the verb enclosed. It is a translation of a Hebrew term used to describe the besieging of a city in battle. And you can read about it in the Old Testament where armies would come and besiege the city so no one could get out. Well, notice what it says here in verse 5. You, God, you have enclosed me behind and before and laid your hand upon me. You have literally, you have hemmed, hemmed me in. The idea is that God is, has us in inescapable situations and there he steadies the believer, he directs us, he restrains us, he keeps us from running and escaping from, from the situations. And this explains why his hand is upon the believer. The word enclosed can also mean to guard a valuable object. We are so valuable to God. You are so valuable to God that God wants to guard us. So God's knowledge and guidance are for the believer's protection. 
What's even more amazing is the fact that God loves each of us in spite of who we are. You see, apart from Jesus, you and I are not good sinners. We're wretched sinners apart from Jesus. In spite of that, he loves us. Loves us enough to send his son, Jesus Christ, to die for us. But I'm so thankful that I remember Billy Graham because I was brought to salvation under the ministry of Billy Graham. God saved me, but God used Billy Graham. And remember the song that's played at every crusade at the end? Just as I am without one plea. Isn't it good that as sinners, God says, come just as you are. God doesn't say you need to make yourself a little bit better first. You need to improve things first before you can come to him. No, just come as you are. And God says, I will cleanse you. I will forgive you. He's the one who loves us too much to leave us the way we are. <laughs> he wants us to make, to make us a new creation in Christ. And then David sums up this section with verse 6. Let me read that again. Such knowledge about God is too wonderful for me. It is too high. I cannot attain to it. And just put in different terminology, David is saying, it blows my mind. It blows my mind how amazing, how great God is. How wonderful that he is all-knowing, that he's all-powerful. The fact that we are constantly under God's gaze can be unsettling for the believer, but also deeply reassuring. It can be unsettling because as a Christian, we still sin. But it's reassuring because being in Christ by faith, no circumstance can remove us from God's love. He understands us. He's acquainted with all of our ways. It reminds me of a devotional that I've used, and some of you here I might have shared this devotional with, but it's based on the first six verses of this psalm. It's a true story. In the early days of the automobile, the Model T Ford had stalled in the middle of the road, and the driver could not get this car started, no matter how hard he cranked or what adjustments he made under the hood. And just then, a chauffeured limousine pulled up behind this man, and a wiry, energetic man stepped out from the back seat. And he offered his assistance. After looking under the hood for a little while and tinkering with something for a few moments, the stranger said, now try it. Now try the car. Immediately, the engine leaped to life and purred like a kitten. Extending his hand to the driver, the well-dressed man said, I am Henry Ford. <laughs> he said, I built these cars. I designed them so I know what to do when something goes wrong. Well, dear friend, we have a God who created us. And he knows when things go wrong. And he not understands us completely. <clears throat> he knows again when we sit down, when we rise up. He knows our thoughts even before they come into our minds. And we can turn to him with confidence with, when nothing seems to be going right. You ever had that in your life where nothing seems to be going right? And we can turn to God knowing that he knows what we're going through. And we can come to him and he knows exactly what we need because his understanding is infinite. 
Now we come to verses 7 through 12. So again, how well does God know me? How well does God know you? Totally. The second question is this. How close is God to me? You ever wonder that? Sometimes it seems like God is way far away. You ever felt like your prayers get up to the ceiling and that's all the further they get? It seems like God is so far away. So David answers this question, how close is God to me? There was an unbeliever who was very scornful at Christians. He would scoff at Christianity. So one day this unbeliever asked a Christian, where is God? And the believer, the Christian responded, well, let me first ask you, where is he not? Where is he not? All right, So God knows me and is sovereign over me. So what? He can do that at a distance from his throne in heaven, which may be millions of light years away. But what I want to know is this. Is he near? Is God near? Well, God is no distant, preoccupied deity. He is omnipresent. He is everywhere present. David states this in the form of two questions in verse 7. Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? You see, the rebellious prophet Jonah, if you read that little book of Jonah, he must have wondered, can I find any place that will remove me from God? And he found out the hard way that the answer is an emphatic no. There is no place that we can go where God is not. Have you ever tried to run away from God? And don't try because it's useless. You can't be done. And yet at the same time, I have to say, maybe there's some of you here today, but when I was young, going to my little country church and the word of God was being preached, I was literally running away from God. I went to church, but I was not in a right relationship with God. And literally, I was running away from God, but all the time, God was seeking after me. And there were a lot of people in my church that was praying for me. I didn't know that. I know my mom was praying for me every day. And so while I was running away from God, I think Luther might have been the one who said, God, Jesus is like the hound of heaven. He, he seeks after us because he loves us and he wants to save us. And yet people are running away from God. Listen to the words of David here in verses 8 through 10. David says, If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the dawn, if I dwell in the remotest part of the sea, even there your hand will lead me and thy right hand will lay hold of me. In the Hebrew Bible, the, the pronoun referring to God here, they are abrupt and emphatic. In other words, if we were reading this out of the Hebrew, it would simply say, if I go up to heaven, thou. <laughs> if I go down to Sheol, thou. That's all it says in Hebrews. In our English translation, we say, if I go up to heaven, thou art there. We add on the, the, the verbs. 
If I go down to Sheol, thou art there. But in the Hebrew, it's simply thou. In other words, you're there. If I could travel the speed of light, if I could get to the moon in less than two seconds, God would be there. No matter where the believer goes, God will be there and his hand will lead me. Omnipresence means that there is no place that he is not. He is everywhere present. And then let me read the last two verses, 11 and 12. If I say, surely the darkness will overwhelm me and the light around me will be night, even the darkness is not dark to thee and the night is as bright as the day, darkness and light are alike to thee. You see, at times a believer finds himself or herself in dark places. And there are times we might wonder, does God know? <clears throat> and I want to say to you, he indeed knows. And if we sin and do the deeds of darkness, what do we do? Do we flee from God and hide and hope he didn't see it? No, rather we should flee to God. Flee to Jesus where there is forgiveness and cleansing. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. I, I like that, Psalm 46.1. <clears> That's been one of my favorite psalms. <clears throat> so I like when it says he is a very present help. Not, not past, not future, but right now. Just when we need him most. I want to ask you have, you, have you gone through some dark times as a believer even? Our youngest son, Aaron, when he was eight years old, was diagnosed with leukemia. And we didn't know if he was going to live. And that was a very dark time. But you know what? I found out that God was not distant. God was present. There may be times... Maybe times when we feel God is not there. <clears throat> but we dare not rest upon our feelings because God has promised he will be there and he is there. And I know when my wife and I were going through this with our son and all of our children, <clears throat> it drew us closer to him. And found out that God's God's grace is sufficient. I think of the verse in James where it says, Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Sometimes when when we're walking with the Lord in the light of his word, we find ourselves even in dark places. But notice the psalmist says, Even in that darkness, it is as light to the Lord. Maybe it's darkness to us, but it's light to him. He has it all in control. If we will learn to just rest by faith in him. So are you going through a difficult time right now, friend? Going through a difficult time in your life? How about your marriage today? Are you going through a difficult time? How about in your family Or how about at work? Are you going through a difficult time? And do you have the idea that no one could possibly understand what you're going through? 
Are you afraid of something you must face today or in the near future? And do you wonder if anyone really cares about you? Well, then let me remind you again of our psalm today. Because the biblical promise from our scripture today, God knows you. He is intimately acquainted with all of your ways. And that should bring us great comfort to our hearts because it is related to the Lord's loving concern for our lives each day. Remember one day Jesus told his disciples that the Father, the Heavenly Father, knows when even a single sparrow falls to the ground. And since human beings are of such much greater value, we have been made in the image of God. So if God cares about the sparrows, by the way, I grew up on a farm, sparrows and barn swallows, we thought they were such dirty birds. And, you know, if God cares about the sparrow when it falls to the ground, how much more he cares about us, how much more he values us. And so we can be assured, if you are trusting in the Lord today, we can be assured of his constant care. And God gives strength and grace to his children. He is always with us. So let us rest in the Lord today. And let us rest in his promise. And let us hide ourselves in him. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, there are times we go through in life when we wonder, do you, God, even care? How near are you? Do you understand what I'm going through? And Lord, the Psalm 139 here, written by David, and he went through a lot of difficult times in his life. He fell into sin. But Lord Jesus You still cared for him. You sent Nathan the prophet to confront him with his sin, to bring him back to repentance and faith. That's how much you cared for David. And Lord, you care about us today too. No matter what we're going through, if there's problems in our marriage or at work or among our family, Lord, you care about that. You want to help us. And Lord, you want to draw near to us. I think it's amazing, Lord, that you are the creator of of everything. And yet, Lord, you are able to live within our hearts. And that's my prayer today, that everyone here today would come to a personal faith in Jesus, to allow Christ to come and live within us, to allow the Holy Spirit to empower us. And, Lord, that we would rest today in your promises. Sometimes we feel differently than what the Word says, but we need to stand upon God's Word, God's promise that you're always there. May we find that great comfort and encouragement today as we rest upon Jesus Christ and all of your promises. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.